Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we are discussing everything from calving season to agronomy, ATV, UTV safety, and ag policy here on AOA. Thanks for joining us today for another episode of Agriculture of America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Appreciate you being with us. Coming up on the program, we're going to get some tips for calving season, which is here, and some things to consider and remember with Madison Kavarna, Beef Nutrition Field Specialist with South Dakota State University Extension. She will join us coming up in segment two today. In segment three, we're going to have a conversation with Florida Representative Kat Kamick. We're going to get her perspectives on where things stand with the Farm Bill and more. Looking forward to that conversation. And then at the end of the show today, Brian Weimer, agronomist with LG Seeds in Illinois, is going to join us as we think about some lessons learned in 2023 and how we can apply them to making decisions for the 2024 growing season. So looking forward to all that and more here on AOA Today. AOA brought to you by Cenex. Hard work, long hours, and extreme conditions are new. Cenex Premium Diesel meets the demands of today's toughest engines. Premium Diesel to keep you going. Learn more at Cenex.com. First up, though, we want to learn more about a new initiative centered around ATV and UTV safety with Nationwide. Joining us to tell us more, he is the VP of Farm Sales and Farm Underwriting with Nationwide. Dirk Pollitt is with us. Dirk, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. Hope you're doing well. Doing well. Uh, Happy to join you, Jesse. Well, I know Nationwide, you guys are rolling out some uh, new safety initiatives for ATV, UTV safety here in 2024. And so I want to talk about that and also just in general, why it's important for folks on the farm and ranch to make sure they are safe uh, with their ATV and UTV use. It's a, it's something that I think is just so, so important, Dirk, especially, uh, you know, folks can get hurt pretty easily if they're not using their ATVs and UTVs correctly, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And and uh, we're really, really excited about this uh, campaign. So it's called Let's Champion Rider Safety. And, uh, and you know, Jesse, and your listeners, I'm sure know, uh, we have deep roots in uh, agriculture. Our heritage is in agriculture, and we're the number one insurer of farms and ranches. So this this work is really uh, close to home uh, for us. We've done a lot of work in the past around grain bin safety. So we've tried to make investments over the years in trying to support the ag community and those things that are important to them. And this really, the collective goal for us is simple on this campaign is to make sure that every operator is aware of the risks uh, of of these vehicles and to make sure that they're taking steps to be safe um, for the ag community. Well, I know, Dirk, I was looking through the nationwide website. You guys have a lot of resources there. And I know one article, in fact, kind of laid out three different pillars of ATV and UTV safety for large farms and agribusinesses. And I know there's there's so many things that that go into safety, but maybe you could touch on some of those pillars or just some of the other things that you guys are really focusing on with folks in terms of ATV, UTV safety. Yeah, yeah, you bet. And and the reason why this is, I think, such a significant issue for us now is uh, during the pandemic, we saw a huge increase in the utilization of these vehicles. And, and they've always been a really important uh, aspect of running a farm and, and working in ag, uh, but we just saw the utilization 
skyrocket over the course of the last few years. And, and the industry is expecting that growth will continue in that three to five uh, percent range over the over the course of time. And we've also seen the horsepower of these vehicles really ramp up uh, as well. And then more important than anything, we saw the, the overall level of injuries uh, just um, uh, increase exponentially the last few years. So I'll give you just a couple of stats to kind of ground us. Uh, we have uh, we see on average about 31 uh, accidents per day in this country for youths and for teenagers on ATVs and UTVs. And in just the first half of 23 alone, we saw more than 200 off-highway vehicle fatalities. And of those, a quarter uh, were for operators under the age of 16. And in those incidents, in only three cases, uh, were those victims wearing helmets. So uh, this is really an effort for us. We see it through our, our claim activity and our large loss activity, uh, but we're really trying to point, as, as you mentioned earlier, we're trying to point the community to the resources that are out there and available to help educate their families on how to how to stay safe in these vehicles. So yeah, for us, we're an insurance company, right? So it kind of starts around coverage. That's what that one of those uh, pillars that you mentioned uh, happens to be. The the second pillar, which is really ties close to this work, is around safety. Uh, and the last is around loss prevention. So we're uh, right. We're always trying to work inside the community. We want to make this kind of a like a dining room uh, conversation for our for our customers and the ag community, so that we can work together to really increase uh, the level of safety and reduce all those incidents. Well, Dirk, you mentioned youth in there as well, and I think about this a lot of times. Uh, our teenagers are helping around the farm in many cases, but. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of young folks, especially younger than 16, uh, you know, they need to be supervised if they're using any of these uh, machines, ATVs, UTVs. And at the end of the day, they're not toys. Right, Dirk? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And listen, these these vehicles are a, a major attraction for children's and teens on farms and ranches, uh, but but they can be as dangerous as they are fun. Uh, so that's why we're, you know, we're trying to get creative around getting this information in front of uh, the, the, the young community, but we're also trying to make sure that we're involving the parents, right? So this, again, is kind of a family conversation that we want to have uh, to make sure that uh, that people are aware of what they can do um, you know, safety uh, classes that they can take, prevention materials that we can put in front of them. And this is uh, right when you think back at some of the efforts that not only nationwide, but all of the insurance industry has taken over the course of time, you know, with back, you know, there was a time where we were trying to educate people on using seatbelts in their, in their, in their vehicles. Uh, we've done a lot of work around distracted driving over the course of the last few years. So this is kind of a natural progression for us. And the reason that nationwide is so closely tied to this work again, is because there is such a link between these vehicles and the ag community that it's just kind of a natural fit for us. Well, again, a uh, big campaign this year surrounding uh, UTV, ATV safety and uh, and championing rider safety. Dirk, uh, before we run out of time and let you go, any final thoughts you would share just from Nationwide's perspective on, on ATV, UTV safety that folks need to remember or anything you want to reiterate to folks here today? 
Yeah, I guess what I would do, Jesse, is I would point them uh, to the, the material itself. So we uh, have been really fortunate that we've partnered with uh, a lot of folks on this work. Uh, we've done some really great work with Dale Earnhardt Jr., who's been a, a, a great advocate of our work over the course of time, the ATV Safety Institute, the Recreational Off-Highway Vehicle Association. And, you know, there's a lot of information out there, including, by the way, the manufacturer of these manufacturers of these vehicles have done a great job at producing material as well. So we're trying to kind of harness that. Uh, and we wanted to point people to uh, nationwide.com backslash ATV safety, where uh, your listeners can get a lot more information, get access to resources to try again uh, to do everything we can to reduce these incidents and make the community safer. With that, Dirk Pollitt from Nationwide. Dirk, thanks for joining us here on AOA. Thank you, Jesse. Up next, Madison Kavarna with South Dakota State University Extension here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex. When it comes to serial disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Are you heading to Commodity Classic? Stop by AGI Booth 3403 for some exciting live radio. This is Jesse Allen. I'll be broadcasting AOA live on Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. We'll be discussing all things grain and digital, from bins and bin monitoring to data and dryers. That's Thursday from AGI Booth 3403 from 9 to 10 a.m. at Commodity Classic in Houston, Texas. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> Just a little heads up before something bad happens. Move your coffee cup away from your computer. Oh, no, 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 no. So you can have more control. Stop. You're texting your boss by mistake. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Warning, the cap is loose on that catch-up. Don't wait. You have the power to change the outcome. 
Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by our friends at Cenex. Not all grease is created equal. Cenex Premium Greases, they're made with high-quality ingredients to provide durable protection. Find your nearest Cenex location or learn more online at Cenex.com. Well, calving season is here or right around the corner for many folks, and we want to get some tips and things to remember and consider as you get busy with calving season. Joining us now to tell us more, she is a beef nutrition field specialist with South Dakota State University Extension. Madison Kavarna is with us here on AOA. Madison, it's great to talk with you again. How are you? Good. I'm doing fantastic. My favorite season is upon us now. We've got a lot of new faces joining the herds all across the United States, and it's a really important time of year to set those herds up for success um, as we move forward uh, through this new calendar year. Definitely, definitely. Well, I know you have a couple recent articles available on the uh, South Dakota State University Extension website. Just some different tips and tricks uh, when it comes to calving season. You have one article uh, talking about colostrum and then another with ionophores and managing uh, coxie in calves. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about some of these uh, these tips that you're sharing. And I, I guess, uh, you know, pick where you want to start here, Madison. But uh, what are some of the things you're talking about in these uh, recent articles? What are things that you want our, our ranchers to think about and remember this time of year? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll kind of start off on the preparation for calving side, which is where um, these ionophores come into play. Um, They typically come into conversation prior to calving. A lot of producers across the regions and all over experience some sort of incidence of coccidiosis within their herd that Um, Disease is caused by a little bacteria that lives in the ground. Um, It goes into their um, that young calf's gut, um, gives them some pretty severe scours, um, can really present some health concerns. And there has been some looking into whether feeding an ionophore can help those calves um, become less susceptible to that. And ionophores, a lot of the times, are not something new. It's a feed additive. Um, A non-therapeutic antibiotic is the technical term. Um, So they're not necessary to have a VFD for these or those veterinary feed directives. Um, But it's still important to keep track of how much you're feeding because those end up shifting those bacterial populations within the gut to limit the amount of coccidiosis spores that are spread into the environment, those protozoa that cause this disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and the biggest thing with ionophores now is there's a bunch of brand names on the market, but the only one that's approved for mature beef cows is Menensin, um, often known the brand name as Rumensin. Uh, so that's a really important thing moving forward that we keep in mind is that we can't really go off label with any of these um, feed additives. That's no, that's a great point you bring up. Sometimes you know we may be looking at all the different products, but uh, to your point. Uh, going off labels not uh, not a good idea and obviously you know trying to manage uh, coxie and calves I know that uh, that can be can be tough at sometimes right Madison 
Yeah, absolutely. So preventing and managing coccidiosis and those coxie infections within that herd really needs to be a wholesome approach. We need to go at it from all angles. Um, so this goes back from pen management. We don't want those calves to be in uh, super manure filled pens, deep bed packs that aren't properly managed, things like that. Um, a big thing we can do to limit the exposure that these calves may have is we can actually calve on different ground from where those cows are wintered. So if you winter your cows on a cornstalk field and you plan to calve them out there as well, um, potentially moving them to a different area of that field or a different field altogether um, can really manage that clean environment for these new babies that hit the ground, um, really sets them up for a better round of success. But this is also where anaphores can come into play. If you're going to be feeding these cows um, from a mixer wagon or some sort of mixed diet, you can easily incorporate an ionophore. And what that ionophore does is it prevents those cows from shedding as much of this bacteria into the environment. Um, so those calves have less of a chance to get exposed to it. Um, the biggest thing if you're going to feed ionophores is they need to be fed for a minimum of 30 days at the recommended amount uh, for it to work properly. Um, so just talking with either your local extension specialist or a nutritionist or even your veterinarian will have some information for you to make sure you're using them to get the most out of them for the most bang for your buck with these. All right. Now, how about on the colostrum side? I was reading through your article and, you know, I love the title, puts the best hoof forward. So I believe this is something that we want to make sure happens pretty early on. Talk about some of the keys there. Yeah, and there's a there's a quote from a uh, molecular biologist, a really smart guy down at a uh, research center um, by the name of Mike Clausen, and he had a really good quote that stuck with me was that calves that don't receive colostrum are 50 times or more likely to die within those first 30 those first three weeks of life. Excuse me. Um, so when we're looking at colostrum, that's really how we can put line our pockets a little bit, make sure those calves are set up. Um, the biggest thing with colostrum is that's how the calves get their first immune system. They come out, um, they're born, they hit the ground. They don't have an immune system built up yet. There's not a lot of walls built up uh, to prevent them from getting sick. And that's what the colostrum is supposed to do. It fills in that natural blank of where those calves, when they hit the ground to when they get their natural immune system in a few weeks, um, the colostrum provides some um, proteins called immunoglobulins. Um, the biggest one people most are familiar with are I, is IgG or immunoglobulin G. And that's what gives these calves that boost to fend off any of those nasty bugs they may come into contact with, which is why those ones who don't receive proper colostrum end up uh, falling sick or end up um, dying from those diseases that they might catch as well. Is it possible for producers to store colostrum, maybe get a head start on things or, you know, have some reserves, things like that? Is that something that they can do? Yeah, absolutely. This is something that we can definitely learn as beef producers from the dairy industry. Um, a lot of dairies actually will save colostrum from cows who calve to use to supplement um, calves and replace colostrum. The best colostrum we can give to calves is straight from mom. Um, the replacers and supplements work fantastic. There's nothing wrong with them if the time calls, um, but nature does it best. Um, if we can get it from a cow, we really want to do that. That has all the, nat the natural proteins, fats, 
vitamins, minerals um, in a way that's meant for that calf to digest. So you can collect um, colostrum from a cow if she does have, if you have a really high producing cow in your herd um, that she's in good health, um, has been on good nutrition, you know she's going to have some high quality colostrum coming. Um, you can use that um, to store and use for those calves who maybe had a difficult birth or the infamous mom who doesn't have the best maternal instincts available. Um, you can store that colostrum. The biggest thing that we're looking for to make sure it's properly handled is we don't want to store it in a refrigerator um, for more than 24 hours and we want to get that colostrum as cold as possible as soon as possible. Um, so putting it in that freezer uh, right away, um, putting it in plastic bags that are labeled. Um, and then when you go to use that colostrum, making sure it's no older than a year old, um, but also when you're thawing it, don't use extremely hot water or microwave for longer than a minute at a time. That destroys all of those immune system building materials that are in there, um, which is the whole reason why we're giving that colostrum. So don't incidentally uh, ruin things for you by not uh, thawing it properly. Well, I know folks, again, can uh, look at both of these articles that Madison's put together at extension.sdstate.edu. You can find uh, the links to both the articles there. And Madison, just to kind of wrap up here as we're thinking about calving season here upon us, I know... Knock on wood, we've had pretty decent weather here the last few weeks, so hopefully hopefully that will continue here through calving season to make things a little easier on us. Uh, what are some final things you would want to share with folks as they're getting prepped for calving season right now? Absolutely. I know here in South Dakota, we've been battling some warm and cold spells. So just as the ground seems to firm back up, it gets back up into those 40s and 50s and that mud sets in. Um, it's difficult to manage mud during this time of the year, but if we can give cows that nice dry place to lay, um, a dry place to calve, they will do a lot of the work for us. Um, so just making sure you're managing those pens to the best of your ability. We're not going to get rid of, um, some of these mother nature things all at once, but if we can give those cows some extra steps or extra setup for them to do better, uh, that's the best that we can do. Um, and really just making sure we're keeping an eye on them during this time of year and making sure those calves get up and nurse within that four hour window, making sure that we get them set up correctly. So really just keep doing what you're doing. It's a tough time of year. Um, there's a lot going on, but it is ultimately pretty rewarding. So um, just keeping an eye on your herd and making sure that they're doing what we need them to do. Well, good thoughts. And again, learn more at extension.sdstate.edu with that. SDSU Extension Beef Nutrition Field Specialist, Madison Cavardo. Madison, thanks for joining us on the program today. Appreciate it as always. We'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. That sounds fantastic. Looking forward to our next conversation. All right. Up next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. We're going to talk with Florida Representative Kat Kamek on the way right after the break. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that 
that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Granton, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. You're listening to AOA. Here's a check of markets for the American Ag Network. I'm Jody Heemstra. Even if it was only temporary, corn futures markets stopped the bleeding on Monday. Early Tuesday, corn is continuing the modest bounce from yet another new low contract. Before Monday, May corn had reached a new low in 11 of the past 15 days. Good news came Monday in the form of export inspections for corn, with the 48.9 million bushels inspected last week, putting the yearly total up 36 percent from a year ago at 768 million bushels. U.S. corn sales are also up sharply, with much thanks given to Mexico. While U.S. corn continues to be competitive in world circles, Ukraine has been aggressive in marketing their large old crop supplies. Soybeans and soy products are flying higher to begin Tuesday trade that after reaching new lows on Monday. Unlike corn, U.S. soy demand remains weak, though, with sales down 20 percent and soybean inspections down 22 percent from a year ago. As in corn, large speculative traders are currently carrying a large net short in beans. There's also no doubt a bit of fund short covering Monday and early Tuesday. Rumors of growing China interest in securing soybeans at these weak prices circulated with a rumor that China may have bought from five to seven cargoes of Brazilian soybeans on Monday and they're looking for offers for May to June supplies early Tuesday. With 40% of the Brazilian soy harvest now complete, according to Ag Rural, the basis there is moving higher, suggesting better demand. However, U.S. soybeans are not competitive. Traders will be keeping an eye on central and northern Brazil weather, which appears to be drier and warmer over the next 10 days. In Argentina, that crop appears to be faring well. Wheat markets are trading higher for the second straight day after both Kansas City and Minneapolis futures fell to new lows Monday. Pressuring wheat markets lately has been the still aggressive selling by Russia. For AOA, I'm Jody Heemstra, and this is the American Ag Network. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go! Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was... Hey, you got this. Just breathe. Hey! (laughs) We're pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) Might have to start a band. (laughs) I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. (laughs) Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex. Hard work, long hours, and extreme conditions aren't new. Cenex Premium Diesel meets the demands of today's toughest engines, 
premium diesel to keep you going. Learn more at Cenex.com. Joining us now on AOA, very pleased to have her with us. She is a member of the House Agriculture Committee, Congresswoman Kat Kamick from Florida. And Congresswoman, really appreciate you joining us here on AOA today. Hope you're doing well. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Well, you had an op-ed for Fox News here recently that caught my eye, and I really wanted to start our conversation there, uh, discussing the ongoing farmer protests that are happening in Europe and and why it should be a wake-up call for America. We've been covering some of these farmer protests ongoing in different countries in Europe, so I'd love for you to just share a bit of what you wrote and, and your perspective on why this is important for American farmers and folks here in the country. Yeah, you know, it's pretty crazy. We've been watching around the world as farmers have been really their everyday livelihoods under assault. And finally, we're seeing a pushback, particularly in Europe. I think even just this week, there was a pretty big revolt uh, in France with our French farmers against the government. And it really ought to be a wake-up call, as I stated in my op-ed, about what that means here at home in the United States. And it is the ever-growing, ever-present role of big bureaucratic government in our everyday lives that is really the scary thing. And when it comes to agriculture, that couldn't be more devastating because whether it is the high cost of your inputs, whether it's your labor, your fertilizer, your fuel, um, or you're dealing with a regulatory regime that is effectively putting you and your every and, and your way of life out of business, it, it's something that sends red flags up across the world. And so, uh, you know, when you think of the EU in particular and how they have turned into effectively a giant administrative state where you have bureaucrats rather than elected officials who want to dictate certain industries versus, you know, here in the United States, we're still really in that, that fight against big government and against the unelected, nameless, faceless bureaucrats. That's really what we're seeing is the, that's the canary in the mine shaft. That is in, in the coal mine. They they are what we could very easily become. So it, it's something that we're watching. And like I said, it should be a wake-up call because for so long, we have not considered food security national security, and it's well past time that we do so. In your view, could agriculture become the next big political talking point globally? And, and to your point, maybe we're already there. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, think about it. In in America, we have continually talked about it being uh, part of our heritage, part of our um, our culture, but we haven't really instilled in the mindset of people that food security is national security because we have it in abundance. We have school children that takes you know field trips to the grocery store, and they think that their food is coming from the back end of a Kroger or Publix. And I think if we had a major crisis in this country where the trucks stopped, you know, moving and the farmers stopped producing, within three days, people would be looking around panicking. And so when we become reliant on foreign adversaries um, for our food source, then all of a sudden we're beholden to forces outside of our control. And we're quickly approaching that when we think about how much food we import in this country and how aggressively we are 
really regulating these folks out of business with the family farms going under more and more every single year. And so I think now people are starting to wake up to, oh my gosh, I need to get very serious about thinking of buying local and sourcing local. And it's more than just a a kitschy thing to catch on. It is a national security, long-term security issue. And we're seeing it play out, not just at the federal level, but at the state and local, where we've had municipalities and counties basically bar people from having gardens in their front yard. I mean, that's insane. We should be encouraging that type of activity, but instead you have governments that are prohibiting it in some cases. Well, and to your point earlier, a lot of folks uh, may or may not know exactly where their food comes from. So a, a good point there to think about. And Again, we're going to continue to watch these farmer protests over in Europe and see their impact here at home. And we'll share a link to your op-ed as well, folks that want to check that out. I want to I want to focus here at home a little bit more as well uh, and talk about the farm bill. You're on the House Ag Committee. We're trying to get a new farm bill yeah. done that reflects a lot of the many interests of U.S. agriculture. What's the latest you can mm. share in terms of getting that done? Well, <laughs> suffice it to say, it's been a frustrating process. We are um, currently operating on a, a basic reauthorization of the 18 Farm Bill, and we were hoping to have it completed last year. But of course, shenanigans in the House um, prevented us from getting uh, that across the finish line. So as it stands right now, we're looking at mid-March being our timeline to have draft text presented, uh, a full markup in committee, and then hopefully getting it um, on the House floor and and across to the Senate. The things that I am really focused on, particularly for the state of Florida, is AGI, so uh, adjusted gross incomes. With the consolidation that we have had happen all across the country, these small mom and pop operations, you know, they have to continually grow at higher and higher levels and really scale up operations just to make ends meet. And government hasn't kept up with that in terms of disaster relief or caps on certain programs. So it's really becoming a a tough situation for a lot of our family farms. So, you know, making adjustments on AGI, really protecting that safety net for for people who have skin in the game and that risk um, in the ground. Making, making it so that we have our SNAP and nutritional program tied to American production. I, I couldn't believe this when we were going through this, that you know, for the $124 billion that we spend every single year in SNAP and EBT, only $26 million, $26 million out of $124 billion, with a B, is required to be American products. If it's an American taxpayer who's financing it, it damn well should be a American farmer that's growing it. And so we want to really see a change in tying the produce that is consumed through the nutritional programs be American products. It should be American fruits, vegetables, dairy, meat, and products that are consumed. And I think that would be a really strong and effective lifeline to our farmers and our producers. Uh, you know, we, we really want to make sure that we're putting ag first. And of course, there's some great conservation titles in there as well. But just common sense reforms that have been needed to be in there and just haven't quite made it across the finish line. That's what we're focused on. Well, I'm glad you mentioned some of your Florida priorities for the Farm Bill. We talk a lot with folks who are in row crop states or the Delta. Not a lot of perspective from the Southeast sometimes, so it's it's nice to hear that. And I know, too, that uh, many of the challenges for your producers in Florida, they can be quite different sometimes than other parts of the country, can't they? 
Yeah, absolutely. And and we've seen in the past where, you know, going back to NAFTA uh, in the 90s, how that had a direct impact on Florida as a whole because there was no seasonal or perishable provisions put in and it really put our producers um, in line with Central and South American producers, our harvests, our seasons really lined up. And we saw where a lot of those provisions that were supposed to protect American farmers weren't enforced. And that really hurt Florida producers. Now you fast forward to USMCA, still no seasonal or perishable provisions. And, you know, you're competing with folks that are paying what we pay in an hour, they pay in a day. They don't have near the same regulatory standards that we do. Um, there's a lot of IP thefts, you know, um, the, a lot of the R&D that goes into these new varieties that are hardy and resistant to pests and disease, that gets stolen. And while our farmers and ranchers are, are paying for that and, you know, royalties and, and, and whatnot, we have competitors across the globe that aren't. And so... Florida has a tremendous opportunity to really benefit from a strong farm bill that could give them some relief. And like I said, really make sure that that safety net that is so critical for our folks, especially specialty crop folks. You know, in Florida, we have 300 specialty crops and we're also one heck of a cow-calf state. Uh, Not a lot of people think about us in that way, but um, we have such a robust ag sector that it's really important we protect it. And let's just be honest, you know, the ag ag industry in, in in America has really kind of been defined by big ag, you know, corn and soybeans and whatnot. Specialty crops are a huge part of our economic driver and our machine here in Florida. And there's not a lot of resources or or technical assistance for them. So that's a really important thing for us to be focusing on, as well as some basic things like a voluntary base update. Um, like I said, AGI adjustments, it's going to be a big one. And, and mm-hmm. streamlining disaster relief brag well real quick before we let you go to you mentioned this earlier shenanigans of the house that we've seen uh i know we <laughs> still have to get uh an appropriations done here and and fund the government we have some shutdown deadlines in front of us real quick are we going to be able to uh, get this done ahead of these uh, deadlines here in march Oh, you know, the farm bill moving is contingent on whether or not we can move past this bizarre two-step CR deal that was negotiated last fall. And while I am always the eternal optimist, um, I feel that we still have some painful things uh, that need to happen before everyone just wakes up and realizes that it that it's not about Washington, it's about the American people, and they need to start acting like it's about the American people, put their petty politics and personalities to the side. I think we really are dangerously close to a shutdown, which I always am quick to remind my friends who advocate for a shutdown that, you know, a shutdown means we spend more money and a CR is not good governance. I have no interest in continuing the policies of Nancy Pelosi. So all that to say, we've got a lot of really, really tough, painful work ahead in the next few weeks. And that's when we can then turn our focus to the very, very important farm bill, which that's going to be a battle in itself. Well, with that, Florida Congresswoman Kat Kamek, appreciate you joining us here on AOA today. Thanks so much, and we'll get you back on the show again in the future. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. We'll be back with more AOA brought to you by Cenex right after this. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. 
right now. Cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Give to the V Foundation. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. 100% of your donation goes directly to game-changing research. 100%. Donate at V.org. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. In Iraq, our truck hit a roadside bomb. I had about 16 surgeries on my hand so that I could regain function. And when I came home, I needed a new roof due to a storm. And my electrical was deemed unsafe. And I was about to lose homeowner's insurance as well. I didn't really know where to go in order to get help. And so I applied for Operation Homefront Critical Financial Assistance Program. They've really been a blessing. Operation Homefront is a safety net. A lot of veterans, they fall through the cracks sometimes. And Operation Homefront, they catch us. It's been a blessing to us. It's a blessing to other veteran families. And it's good to know that when we come home, there are people who are there that care about us and want to see us do well and want to see us succeed. And we feel it and we appreciate that. I would say you guys are angels behind closed doors. Visit OperationHomefront.org to learn more. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, Justin Cauley, a transportation expert with CHS, will discuss shipping challenges affecting agriculture. Justin, the Panama Canal and Suez Canal are important maritime shortcuts, but recently fewer ships are transiting the canals. Please describe what's happening there. There have been several significant challenges to shipping over the past year. We've seen profound impacts from the drought in the Panama Canal, followed by the challenges with the Houthis targeting commercial ships in the Suez Canal. Well, Justin, why is the Panama Canal important to agriculture? Well, the Panama Canal is essentially a shortcut for those farmers uh, that ship via the U.S. river system to have more competitive access to the Far East. Today, with the, the water situation in the Panama Canal, shippers are, are forced to either light load cargo and um, there's increased cost to ship via the Panama Canal via their auction system. And what we're finding is that the ship shipping grain really can't afford to pay what the ship shipping natural gas are doing or the container ships. And so the ships that are coming from the U.S. Gulf to the Far East are shipping either via the Suez Canal or with the issues in the Suez, now they're shipping via the Cape of Good Hope. And what this does is it adds cost to that shipment, adds about 30% more time as well as 30% more fuel. Well, how will ships being diverted from the Suez Canal affect farmers? The Suez Canal has been an alternative to the Panama Canal for these farmers. Without the Suez in play, they have a slightly longer route via the Cape of Good Hope. The Suez Canal is much more important, impactful for farmers in the Black Sea region to access the Far East. So U.S. farmers might find that they become relatively more competitive to those growers in Ukraine and Romania. It's also important to note that Brazil's routing to the Far East typically sails via the Good Hope normally, and these canals are irrelevant for their access to the Far East markets. Thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Wheat growers of the North, it's time to push performance to answer the call of Westbred Wheat. With regionally proven varieties like WB9590 and WB9479 with high protein, yield potential, and standability. 
Trust Westbred Wheat to help you get the most out of every acre. Now's the time. Boldly grow. Seize the season with Westbred Wheat. Performance may vary. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex. Downtime's a waste. Keep your equipment running smoothly by using high-quality Cenex premium diesel fuel. Learn more at Cenex.com. Right now, we want to think about lessons learned last season and how they can help us this year. Joining us, LGC's agronomist in Illinois, Brian Weimer. Brian, thanks for being with us on the show. Sounds like you're having uh, pretty good weather there in Illinois. Yeah, kind of a little bit of a false start with spring. Uh, everybody gets a little bit antsy when you get in the middle of February and you start getting nice weather like this. But um, this time of year, hey, we'll take it and get some things knocked out. Definitely. Well, and maybe getting some people thinking about the fact that spring planting season is right around the corner. And I, I want to get to that, but I want to set us up. Let's think about what we saw in that 2023 growing season. Obviously, you know, areas across the country had issues with with drought and dryness but we also ended up uh, with a record corn crop for instance things like that so what were some of the big lessons that you learned and, and others learned when it came to 2023's growing season let's start there yeah i think if you were to go back in the month of june and, and tell growers that we were going to have the crop that we had this fall i think they would have thought you're crazy yeah we went through quite a bit of stress there in the month of june but um, you know, if you look back at the growing season, there was a lot of things that really set us up for success. And I think one of those starts at planting, you know, we had a really good planting window to get the crop in. Guys didn't have to push the envelope like they do most years. And, um, you know, we got that crop plant in really good conditions and uh, that set us up for a really good season. And the other thing, too, I, I cover central Illinois as well as southern Illinois um, for LG seeds and you know, for our area, you know, usually drainage is one of those things that's a limiting factor for us. And actually having the dry weather, we didn't have the drowned out spots that we usually see year after year. So um, some of those things really contributed to having such a, a real a great crop this past year. And, um, you know, the other thing, too, was when we went through the stress, we were actually able to cool off during the nighttime days. So, you know, we were able to give that crop a chance to breathe and you know, when you went out and looked at crop, you know, seven, eight o'clock in the morning, it actually looked pretty good. But three o'clock in the afternoon, you, you wanted to go find something else to do than drive around and look at crops. <laughs> um, so I think if there's one lesson that we learned big picture was that you never give up on a corn crop. You know, in the month of June, we were a lot of guys were thinking about pulling some things back and, and cutting some input costs because, you know, at the time you looked at the crop and walking through fields, you just didn't think you're going to have anything. But obviously, we saw something drastically different when combines started going through in the fall. And so uh, really probably one of the biggest lessons to learn is no matter how bleak things seem in the growing season, you never want to give up on this crop because, uh, you know, if growers did pull back some of those inputs in season, you know, it was uh, it was definitely hurting their bottom line when combines started. 
Well, and I know too, uh, as far as the 2023 crop, we didn't necessarily see much in the way of disease and pest pressure. I know we did, but maybe it, it wasn't as as huge of an issue in certain areas uh, than, than it has been in previous years. Would you agree with that, Brian? Yes, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, you know, typically when you start looking at things, especially from a disease standpoint, you know, usually when you have those heavy disease environments, that's when you have humidity, you have a lot of rainfall um, and things like that. And, and we just didn't see that this year. It was really pretty mild from a disease standpoint. And from a pest standpoint as well, it was also a very uh, calm uh, summer, if you would call it that. Um, there just wasn't many huge hurdles and obstacles that we had to overcome from that side of things. Um, I do think from a disease standpoint, it's always a good idea to keep thinking about fungicides in your program with those crops because uh, those fungicide applications do aid in a couple of other different things. I think one thing too, with the newer formulations, you get a lot better residual control than what you did with older formulations in the past. And the other thing too, is it also helps from a crop harvestability standpoint. It keeps that plant green, it keeps it a lot healthier. And so if we do run into kind of some curveballs in harvest time, you know, that kind of gives us a little bit of an insurance that we're going to have a good standing and harvestable crop in the fall. Well, of course, no two growing seasons are the same. Lock and change between now and when we uh, roll combines later in 2024. But I know a lot of farmers are, are making seed decisions, things like that right now. We're getting geared up to plant this 2024 crop. So thinking of some of those lessons we learned in 23, what can we take and apply it to the 2024 growing season ahead. What would you tell folks they need to keep in mind right now, Brian? So one of the things that I always encourage growers to think about um, in any growing season and start planning for the following is, um, you know, really looking back historically on your farm and seeing what are those major things that have yielded success on your farm in years past. Um, you know, one of the big things we just talked about was growers were shocked at the crop they were bringing in. But then another theme that a lot of growers were finding, too, was nothing really stuck out. I mean, everything was, you know, we had a solid crop, you know, hybrids across the board did really well. Um, and a lot of our management practices uh, turned out to be very profitable and, and things seemed to just work out really well for us this past year. Um, so I always encourage growers to look back at some of the things that, you know, have historically worked really well and kind of building that baseline as you start thinking about next growing season. Then the other thing too is not losing sight of trying some new things on your farm, some different farming practices some things to keep moving forward and, and pushing the envelope. Uh, you know, you don't have to try things, you know, big scale. You can always do things smaller scale, try some test trials. Um, with the technology that we have and the equipment that we have, you know, it's a lot easier to do some of that on-farm research today than what it was in years past. And the other thing, too, is if growers are thinking about things, you know, from a management practice standpoint that requires large capital expenditures like equipment, it doesn't mean we have to go out there and purchase those large pieces of equipment. You know, there's a lot of different options out there, whether it's a neighbor who has a piece of equipment that you'd like to try some on a few acres. There's always those options to test tri uh, trial those things um, and see if it's a fit for your farm and be thinking about the future as well and implementing new practices. Well, and to your point, a lot of new genetics out there, a lot of things that farmers can try. I know if they have questions, they can reach out to an agronomist such as yourself and get more information. With that, Brian Weimer with LG Seeds. Brian, thanks for joining us here on the program today and giving us some thoughts as we think about 2024 spring planting season. Have a good one. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jesse, and thanks for having me.
Once again, LG Seeds agronomist in Illinois, Brian Weimer, joining us here today on AOA. Brought to you by Cenex. Extreme cold temperatures put your vehicles to the test. Cenex premium lubricants are made with quality ingredients to keep you going. Find your nearest Cenex location or learn more online at Cenex.com. Coming up on tomorrow's AOA, we will be broadcasting live from Commodity Classic in Houston, Texas. Looking forward to it. That's all the time we have, though, for today's program. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Are you heading to Commodity Classic? Stop by AGI booth 3403 for some exciting live radio. This is Jesse Allen. I'll be broadcasting AOA live on Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. We'll be discussing all things grain and digital, from bins and bin monitoring to data and dryers. That's Thursday from AGI booth 3403 from 9 to 10 a.m. at Commodity Classic in Houston, Texas. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today, I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous, as in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council.